Hello and welcome back to Restoral Planet Podcasts with me, your host, Jack Cole. So today I'm joined by David Waters from the Great Buster Group in Salisbury Plain. So David, welcome. Thank you for your time. Would you mind by starting by telling us a little bit about your background and the work that you've got going on? Yeah, sure. So my name's David Waters. I'm the executive officer of the Great Busted Group. And this was an organisation I formed, what, 25 years ago. Um, never really with the expectation of sort of managing running the project full time. Um, the, the idea was it was going to be a, a sort of a hobby interest type thing. And I would continue with my then main career. Um as a police officer. Um, everything took a, a rather unpredictable route. Now, reintroductions, translocations, restorations, whatever term you wish to use, are pretty mainstream activities for uh, conservationists. But 25 years ago, uh, they weren't. They were um, very unpopular indeed, very unfashionable. And the only bit that sort of spurred me on to spend more and more of my time till the point when bustards took over my life was the fact that pretty much everybody just seemed to be determined to stop the project and I could never really understand the reasons why but it was just the default setting of almost every conservation or wildlife or bird watching type group um, in the UK and, and times have changed enormously since um, since the late 1990s. And what sorts of arguments would people say? Because obviously, as you say there, it's um, it's very normal and even encouraged and very popular now to have all these reintroductions and, and with wilding and everything else. So what exactly was the motivation behind some of the pushback? Well, there was certainly a philosophy that said, well, if something's gone extinct, it's because it can't cope with whatever the prevailing conditions are. So it's pointless to try and bring it back. Another one was, um, and perhaps the most common, was um, you should spend the money on the wildlife we already have, um, you know, in bird sense, on corn buntings or lapwings or stone curlews, rather than spending money on an ambitious project. Um, of course, that argument was pretty, well, fatuous and, and irrelevant, because the Great Bustard Group up until now really has been funded on money that it has raised itself. Um, we haven't depleted wildlife grant bodies or government spending resources or anything like that in doing this project. We've raised it ourselves. Um, and it's possible to raise money for something like the Great Bustard, the heaviest flying bird in the world, this huge, charismatic, magnificent looking thing with all its cultural heritage, which you've got in Wiltshire. It's on the county flag. It's on the coat of arms. It's the badge of everything from army cadets to girl guides. Um, so we've got sponsors that could be local building companies and brewers and um, farmers and um, and a volunteer base all across. The They'll come and help the Great Bustard. It's very, well, it's not just naive, it's rather arrogant to think that all those companies that support us would go and support a corn bunting, which are super little birds, but they're small and brown and they don't capture the imagination in the way that the the great bustards do and and the other the um other argument which still comes up is it's from bird watchers who are sometimes really quite angry um that their hobby 
of spotting and ticking off rare birds is somewhat confused now. And I remember one particular bird watcher, very, very cross that um, um, there's been a project to restore cranes to the UK because he says when he sees a crane now, he doesn't know if it's a real one he can tick in his little book or whether it's just, in his words, a plastic one from someone who's just been been, been doing crane farming. So, um, yeah, I mean, none of those arguments um, make any sense to me, but those those were sort of the, 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 the most common ones that were thrown against the project. All right. So would you mind telling us a little bit about, um, it's like, what is what is a bustard, perhaps about its size, uh, its life cycle, its habitat, its patterns, etc. Well, there's a whole family of birds called bustards, um, depending a little bit on which source you go to, but about 25 different species. They're medium to large birds. They are across much of the world. There are no bustards in the North or South Pole or in North or South America. But most other places have got one. There's an Australian bustard, an Arabian bustard, an Indian bustard, and so on. Um, when I started to work on on bustards, the I call it conventional wisdom, the understanding was that the whole bustard family was the closest thing to them would be the cranes. They were reasonably closely related to the cranes, which yeah, when you look at them, you can sort of imagine that it makes sense. But genetics is always one of those areas that's getting more accessible more affordable and of course more and more detailed and the the current um opinion of people who study these things are that the bustard family fits somewhere between the cuckoos and the flycatchers in the bird's taxonomic tree which seems utterly bizarre to me but I'm, it's, it's not for me to dispute that but that's what they say um and of all the bustards um the great bustard is, I think, the most spectacular. There's a handful of real heavyweights. There are the great bustard, the Cory bustard, which is the one from sort of East and, and South Africa, and probably the great Indian bustard. But of those, it's the great bustard, which is um, accepted as being the heaviest flying bird in the world. And the big males and the exceptional males, they, they can be up and be over 20 kilos in weight. So an absolutely immense bird. Tell us a little bit about uh, the history and persecution in the UK. So great bustards disappeared in the, the UK in the middle of the 1800s. I think the last accurately recorded plundering of a nest was 1832, but they, they surely went on a bit more beyond that. The, the last birds in Wiltshire uh, were killed in the, um, the 1870s. Um, a lot of the documents produced in recent times will show the reason for the extinction was the Enclosures Acts. There was, they say the Enclosures Act, but there was actually a whole series of Enclosures Acts where common land, sort of open, unfenced land for, for grazing animals and so on, was broken up um, into smaller fields. And certainly there are places in, in England, North Norfolk for one, where you can see the landscape was changed. But the reality is the Great Bustard was really close. It was on its way down and close to extinction long before most of these Enclosures Acts actually were implemented. And across the Wessex Downs, and in particular Salisbury Plain, there are huge chunks of land which never were enclosed. So whilst that might have been a reason in one place, it wasn't 
the universal reason for their extinction. Um, it's hard to get good quality data from things. You very often get a presence or absence. It's very hard to get numerical data from things historically. But I mean, we do know in the Victorian era, if you were a geologist, you went round and collected rocks. And that's what they did. They were collectors. And if you were an ornithologist, you went round and you collected birds and their eggs. And, and certainly birds like great bustards, which are long lived, but slow to mature and slow to breed with a low, low rate of natural recruitment. Um, they just don't tolerate hunting. Once you start losing your adult females, your population will go into a decline. And of course, with the, the whole ethos of collecting these Victorian bird collectors, the rarer a bird is, the more desirable it is in the collection. And perhaps the ultimate bird for any collector, well, that's the last one. If you could have the last one in your county or in the country, that would be a fantastic thing to have. So the, the final sort of yes, wiping out of the species um, was, was down to the, the ornithologists of, of the time. Wow. Okay, so you started your work in your group in 1998. Would you mind telling us the sort of how you started out? Obviously, you mentioned there was a lot of pushback, but then how things have developed through the years and, um, and where we are now and the things you're involved with. Well, the, the project really started with me commissioning um, a, a couple of pieces of, of study. So we employed an academic to do um, an initial sort of background study, a feasibility study. Um, and we looked at everything from the history of the bird, the type of landscape that we have, uh, where they still exist in the world, um, through to the abundance or otherwise of different crops and invertebrates and, and so on and so forth. Um, there was then set up and an awful lot of people involved in helping this with uh, a steering group, which had government bodies, English Nature, um, as uh, Natural England as they were in those days, and JNCC, DEFRA, the Department uh, for the Environment from the government, and other NGOs. So um, we did have um, county ornithological groups and people like the RSPB all involved on these, this steering group. And it was to try and work down what would the key points be to, to try and establish success. But it took an awful long time. And I then commissioned a, um, a specific license application that ran to oh, hundreds of pages. Um, and that was submitted to uh, the government. Uh, the government minister. The great bustard was regarded as a bird not normally native to the UK. So on that basis, we needed a particular license to uh, release them. And yeah, and it just sat there for uh, just short of two years, um, with not getting a response back from the government at all. They wouldn't say yes, they wouldn't say no, they just wouldn't say anything at all. Um, and a key part of all the um preparation work was where would we get some stock from where where would the birds come from the iucn guidelines were quite clear that wild stock would be used in preference to anything captive bred um there was also a, a, a rather misunderstood but very very widely held belief in the academic community that the Spanish great bustards, or at least the Iberian great bustards, would be unsuitable for use in the UK because that population could be genetically distinct, being somewhat or partially 
isolated by the Pyrenean mountains. Now, there was no evidence for this supposition. It was a question that was asked, really, in one paper with the suggestion that they might be a bit different. And it was just one of these papers that then anybody published anything on Great Bustards for the next 25 years cited this paper uh, or miscited it saying the Iberian great bustards are genetically distinct but there was no evidence for this um, but the UK government was very clear they would not entertain the use of, of Iberian or Spanish great bustards which is a big blow over half the world's great bustards occur in Iberia um, the other populations to sort of consider with Germany well their population was very very small at the time having almost being pushed to the um, the point of extinction. Um, and there were some in Austria and Hungary, but again, relatively small um, populations and not really suited as a donor population. So had to go for So the population we um, chose to work with was one in Saratov in southern Russia. Um, and with a lot of help, we we're able to set up a, an egg rescue program over there. Most of the agriculture and in the huge, huge fields they have there was actually done organically, which is normally very good for wildlife, but it does mean weeding is conducted mechanically and that needs to be repeated. And in between these... Um, cultivations of the fields with teams of tractors going across and cutting weeds and scratching surfaces the female bustards thought that made the perfect place to nest and then of course a couple of weeks later all the tractors would come back and the nests would be destroyed and yeah i mean it's it did work we were there for nearly 10 years um Russia's, I don't think, is a particularly easy place even for most russians to live and it was certainly quite challenging for an englishman out there again particularly as an Englishman with a with a, a police background um, but we did manage to get a reasonable hatch rate from the eggs half of the birds that um, we reared with our partner organization out there we left uh, in Russia they're either released back into the wild or they went to um, zoological collections Moscow Zoo in particular but the other half I could bring back to the UK um, yeah it sounds very quick when you say it like that but the paperwork um, and then in this end the the quarantine and everything that went with a, a red data book species um, being imported to the UK and having to do all our own quarantine was um, yeah it was, was pretty challenging um, and a small population was established and and it did breed but the numbers are very low and certainly the the biggest disappointment was the post-release survival once they got through their first winter the survival rate was very very good indeed but there was a pretty high attrition rate in the first sort of couple of months after release um but it demonstrated bustards could live in southern England and they could breed and they could rear chicks and we then had something of a breakthrough with uh, the University of Chester um, who were in a position to support us with a genetic study and again with all the contacts I've made through Europe we were able to get blood samples from every European great busted population and for the first time in a genetic study I was able to include the genetic material from the old English great bustards, the old indigenous birds that were killed across the UK and 
particularly in Wiltshire, back in the 1800s. Um, and various, say, museums and, and manor houses and things like that were happy for us to go and just take a tiny piece of uh, skin, normally from the underside of the foot of these birds. Um, all these were put into the pot, as it were, and, and compared. And lo and behold, the closest living match to the original English great bustards was Spain. And Russia, as I mean, it's going to always have its logistical challenges, but it, it sort of opened up to the West for a little bit. And then as the years went by, one could sense that the, the politics was making it more and more difficult for us to work there. But armed with this information, the, the UK government then did um, allow the release of Iberian or Spanish great bustards. So went out, um, found the, the Spanish governments from two different regions, Castilla Leon and Castilla de Mancha, incredibly supportive. I mean, they just sort of, yeah, what a wonderful idea. We'd love to help. And they actually issued licenses for us to go out to Spain, search for nests and collect eggs directly. So it wasn't an egg rescue program like Russia. It was an egg collection. We had an early cutoff date to give the females plenty of time to lay a replacement clutch. So it was held we were having a minimal or even no negative um, effect on the donor population. The eggs were collected, put into a, uh, a transport incubator, and with the help of Madrid Zoo, and then either Birdworld or the Cotswold Wildlife Park in this country, incubation was completed. They all hatched in this country. As soon as they had hatched, we brought them down to our rearing station and we were able to start the fairly complicated process of rearing great busted chicks um, at our own site on the edge of a um, of an army training range in the middle of Wiltshire. Fantastic. And so where are we today in terms of numbers? So the uh, total population is somewhere, we hope not too far off 100 great bustards we're, we're not there yet but but somewhere approaching that um we also have a number of birds in captive breeding projects which are hosted by three principal partners to date the captive breeding projects haven't been successful um they they've they've managed to produce eggs but the eggs have never been fertile but we know great bustards are famously difficult to breed in captivity um, but we will get there but the the main emphasis and story is the wild living great bustards um we're just on the cusp of actually been able to start a, a, a much improved monitoring program and we've got additional staff and resources to do this um but we we think around half our birds are um released birds from either russia or spain and the last releases of um of birds brought into the country from spain was 2019 and the other half are wild parent reared english wiltshire great bustards and of course and those are the ones that we we really do value um that's what the that's what the whole project is about these this second third generation of wild great bustards that we've got and we do you know believe that the population is self-sustaining and and slowly growing under its own efforts and look into the future could you tell us about the great buster group vision for over the next i think it's 10 years yeah of course so um looking looking forward for the next 10 years and and, and beyond um the the number one objective is to take this population across southern wiltshire it's it's spread out we've got three 
three core areas or three sort of subpopulations. And we really want that to continue to grow and, and get to at least double its existing size. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> Beyond that, um, yes, there are, the, there are other areas in England and it is very much England rather than the UK with the great bustard habitat wise that I think could sustain great bustards. Um, they're a bird that likes big open country areas, big sky country. Um, they don't like hedges and small fields and so on. But an important fact is you don't need to control the whole landscape. As long as they've got somewhere to feed in the winter and a absolute favourite of great bustards would be oilseed rape. There's a bit of a myth that they're grassland birds and they're not. They're really an arable farmland bird. Um, and somewhere for them to breed safely. Uh, and that could be specially prepared plots like the stone curly plots and, and things like that. Um, yeah, with minor tweaks, I think there are several areas, especially ones that used to hold great bustards, so Yorkshire, Lincolnshire, and parts of East Anglia around Cambridge and, and, and that area. Um, great bustards could do well. For the short, medium term, we don't have any sort of additional stock. Um, obviously, the current situation with Russia, no one's going to get any support for getting birds out from there. Um, the, the Spanish have been tremendous, but actually since we've been working there, an awful lot of the good busted areas have gone under really intensive production of nuts, almonds particularly, and pistachio, um, and these new super intensive olive groves. So Spain's got its, its challenges there. So um, although they were very, very helpful to us, I'd be doubtful about getting further birds from there. Captive breeding remains a, an option for, for other release sites. Um, but of course, if we can grow our population down here in Wiltshire, um, in the fullness of time, that could well be a, a donor population for elsewhere. But not within the next 10 years, I'd suggest. We're, we're looking at increasing and building our population here. We've got conservation uh, measures um, planned. We've really got to protect the females from the spring mowing of silage um, and to just try and raise further funds and further improve the habitat that we've got here to increase number of nests and the survival of the chicks and ultimately the recruitment into the adult population. And finally, David, where can people find your work to support or donate if they wish? <laughs> Yeah, so, well, the easiest way to contact us um, is through our website, which is greatbusted.org. Um, there's all sorts of ways to, you know, um, engage with us. Um, either just hitting the contact buttons, there is a conveniently placed donation button. We, we are an organisation that uh, absolutely relies on individual making individuals making donations we're a membership organization we also encourage people to come and visit the project um it's a bit of a, a sort of a three-way management issue with us we want to keep the birds very happy of course we don't want the great bustards disturbed but we're also on a working farm but we're also on an army range so it's it's the bustards the farmers and the army we've got to keep them all happy we do the army are tremendous um in, in helping us with that but we you know if people come with us we know it's all going to work and, and that works very well to help us keep the, the project funded um, but all the details of that was a greatbuster.org 
David, thank you for your time. Always a pleasure. Thank you.